We had some wonderful music this morning, haven't we? Can we give everyone a round of applause who was a part of that? That was really wonderful. Thank you. And then if you would, please stand with me as we uh, approach the text this morning. In an Eastern context, we do two things before we approach the text. First, we stand to distinguish our words from the Lord's. The second thing we do is we say a prayer in the form uh, of Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema. Would you say it with me? Repeat after me. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Amen. We have a very short verse this morning. We will be dwelling on one verse this morning in 1 John chapter 4. If you turn there with me, it'll also be uh, there uh, for you to look at in your bulletin or on the screen. 1 John 4, 9. Sometimes I have to read an entire chapter. Today I get to read just one verse, but it's a big one, and so we'll dwell on it for a little while. 1 John 4, 9. I'll say it a few times. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Let me say it again. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Early this very morning, emphasis on early, I awoke to the sound of a soft whimpering coming from my three-year-old son Micah's room. So lumbering out of bed, I zombie-walked down the hall to find Micah sitting up in his bed, sniffling as he clutched his favorite teddy bear, Philbin. And I asked him, Micah, what's wrong? What's going on? And with, through the, the thick crocodile tears, he exclaimed, I'm sad we missed the ice cream truck. <laughs> what, buddy? What? What did you just say? The ice cream truck. I'm sad we missed the ice cream truck. Now the backstory. We have an ice cream truck that drives around our neighborhood during the summer. And Molly and I decided a while back that the kids would help us bring the empty bottles and cans to the Redemption Center, and the funds that we collected would go into the ice cream fund. And that when we had enough money and we heard the sounds of that beautiful ice cream truck, which we told our kids for many years that it was the music truck, and isn't it wonderful that a truck would drive around playing music for us in the summers. How nice. But one of the neighbor's kids ratted us out, and they figured it out pretty quick. So when that didn't work anymore, we told them when we had enough money, and we heard that sound, that glorious sound of do your ears hang low in a key that no song should ever be set to, that we would go and we would get ice cream. So sure enough, the day came, we had enough ice cream, and so we waited for the bells to chime. The problem is, is that this particular ice cream truck drives much too fast. We determined that by the time you hear the sound, you have 15 to 20 seconds to get outside 
or it will drive away, which to me does not sound like a good business model, but I don't have an MBA, but that just doesn't sound like the best uh, way to, to conduct business. You have no time for shoes. Shoes are quite out of the question, but we had to learn that lesson the hard way. Because on the day in question, we heard the sound, we found the money jar, we put on our shoes, and opened the door to find the ice cream truck driving away. Friends, there is nothing sadder than a sobbing three-year-old waving a dollar bill as he runs down the sidewalk trying to catch an ice cream truck that is speeding away. There were many, many tears. But in case you feel too bad about him, in case you feel too bad about the situation, we did finally catch that truck. We caught the truck and he was in his glory that day that we finally caught the ice cream truck. But apparently, none of that mattered in this moment. And apparently this had become a damaging, regressed memory because he was bringing it up again six months later. Somehow this traumatizing memory had come into his mind at some point and now he was stewing over it much too early, as I said. Now here's the thing. I tried to explain to him that we did eventually catch that truck. I tried to explain to him it was all in the past. I tried to tell him not to worry about it, but none of it helped. It seems as though my rationalization was no comfort to him. And so he simply looked at me with wet eyes and asked, will you lay with me? Daddy, will you lay with me? And so I crawled into bed and I laid with him until he had calmed down enough to slip back into sleep. See, there's something about presence. He didn't need answers at that moment. He just needed someone to lay with him. Presence is this closeness, this connection. In a way, he was asking me to keep vigil with him until he was able to relax into sleep. One of the parenting books that we have read uh, as parents, Molly and I, my wife, was the, was the book called How to Really Love Your Child. And the basis of the book is that the author basically narrows down all of children's behavior into one profound question. Do you still love me? And the author says that ultimately we as parents answer that question with our presence. Eye contact, physical touch, undistracted, focused attention. But really when it comes down to, we answer the question, do you still love me with our presence? Friends, how do we know that we are loved by God? Well, first let's set the stage a little bit and we'll get to that in a minute. Now, if you remember from our Nehemiah series, part of their recommitment was to God was recognizing a festival that had not been celebrated in a long, long time. It was the Feast of Booths, of Tabernacles, or its Hebrew name, Sukkot. Now, Sukkot happens in the fall, on the 15th day of the seventh month, which on our calendars is sometime in late September 
or October. If you have a fill-in, follow along with me as we give some of these details and dates with me. But on our calendar, it falls sometime in late September or October. Now, Sukkot means a tent, a booth, a shanty, a tabernacle, a a, a shepherd's shed, an animal hut or pen, something that is outdoors, something that you sleep under, typically for animals. But for thousands of years, it has been celebrated as a holiday, a time in which Israel's ancestors lived in these types of tents as they left Egypt. So Jews to this day still build booths, tents, tabernacles, sukkahs, as they're called, in order to remember the time that they lived in the sukkahs as they left Egypt. The basis for it comes from Leviticus 23. It says this, live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Again, live in temporary shelters. Live in these sukkahs for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such sukkahs, shelters, so your descendants will know that I have the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So again, let's get to the backstory. Come with me to Exodus 12 as we read that night and what actually happened on the night they left Egypt. Exodus 12, it'll be on the screen. It says this, During the night... Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. Later on, the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, Many other people went up with them and also drove uh, large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. So Sukkoth is the name of the first place Israel encamped on their very first night out of Egypt. They flee Egypt and the first place they stop, the restroom break they need on the toll, is Sukkoth. But we've actually seen this play out before in the Bible earlier on. It's, it's as if the author is trying to show us something by, by mentioning these details to say, remember, though, there was actually a story before this story where very similar things happened. So we have to go back even more to Genesis 33 because there we're introduced to the story of Jacob. And Jacob flees his father-in-law. And one of the first places he comes to is also a place called Sukkoth. And the Bible tells us why it was called that. And in Genesis 33, 17, it says this, Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters, sukkahs, for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. 
Okay, and so Jacob flees, he leaves. One of the first places he ends up is also a place called Sukkoth. Why is it called Sukkoth? Because when he got there, he built a place for himself. And then he built these shelters, these sukkahs, these sukkoths, for his animals and his herds. And so that is why, and I I can imagine there were hundreds and thousands of them to to be there in order to uh, do it. Uh, One translator says a shanty town would be a good explanation or a good description of it. He builds these sukkahs in the town of Sukkot. And so if you're the reader and you know the story of Jacob, you get to the story here in Exodus and you go, wait a minute, this looks really familiar. They leave and flee an oppressor. And the first place they stop is Sukkoth. And we're told several times that they have lots of livestock, which is not a detail to be missed. Well, of course, they would go to Sukkoth, just like their ancestor Jacob. But there is a difference, and we're supposed to see the difference. The difference is, is that while Jacob built a place for himself and then separate huts for the cattle, there weren't separate dwellings for the Israelites. They slept in the sukkahs too. That night, everyone, animals and people, slept together. That is why we remember the holiday of Sukkot, when the Israelites lived in the temporary shelters as they fled Egypt. They went to a place called Sukkot. They stepped out in faith in a new, scary, uncomfortable, unfamiliar place. And on that first night of freedom, God had them lay with smelly, uncomfortable animals to remind them that even when life is scary, even when life is hard and unpredictable, when life has you sleeping in animal huts, he was with them. That even when life is hard and scary and unpredictable, when life has you sleeping in animal huts, he was with them. The text says this, the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. In verse 42, the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. The Israelites were no longer under the oppressive eye of Egypt, but under the presence of God. He was with them. And therefore, it says, on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come in the holiday of Sukkot. But the story continues, because after they leave Sukkot, They camp again and again and again. They don't find that place, that permanent place that Jacob has. They continue to wander. For 40 years, they wander in the desert in their sukkahs. And so just like that first night, God continued to be with them. He said, I'll camp too. And in Exodus 25, about 13 chapters later, it says this, Then have them make me a sanctuary, says the Lord, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle, make this Sukkot, my Sukkot, my Sukkah, 
and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And like we said, the word tabernacle here is that word sukkah, a tent. God tabernacled with them. He pitched his tent. You're living in your sukkah, and I want to be with you, so build me one too, so I might dwell among you. And so this is why, for generations, we remember the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Sukkot, so that we remember that even when life has us living in animal huts, even when life has us moving around, we don't find permanency anywhere that God pitched his tent to, and he dwells among us. Your fill-in, Sukkot, points back to the story of when God's people slept in animal huts to remind us that he is with us and that he dwells among us. Sukkot points back to the story of when God's people slept in animal huts to remind us that he is with us and that he dwells among us. And they indeed continued to keep vigil of this season of Sukkot for generations to come, all the way through the time of Jesus. And so now a little background of this timing of Jesus. I hate to break it to you, but Jesus was not born on December 25th. I know. In fact, he wasn't born anywhere close to December 25th. So how did we get here? Well, there was a Roman emperor named Constantine who became a Christian, but his father was not, and his father had thought of himself as the Son of God, God incarnate. And his birthday was December 25th. So when Constantine became a Christian, he had this problem with the whole country celebrating his father's birthday as God. And so he put Jesus' birth celebration on the same day. And we've been giving Jesus birthday cakes in the winter ever since. But the Bible actually gives us clues about the time of year Jesus's, of Jesus' birth. So come with me to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we meet, beginning we meet with a, a man, a, a priest named Zechariah, who is performing duties in the temple. Now, at that time, in the time of Jesus, there were roughly 24,000 priests functioning at the temple. But the temple only needed 1,000 priests to perform all the duties, which means they were overstaffed. What do you do with 24,000 priests who need to perform the work of only 1,000? So about uh, 400 BC, they named and divided up all the priests according to what family they belonged to, listed actually in Nehemiah. Remember all those long lists in Nehemiah that we kind of just glossed over? Well, they're actually coming back into play now because they used those lists to say, how do we divide 24,000 priests up in order, to, in order to make sure that we have enough coverage but not too much coverage? And so they took the list in Nehemiah and in Ezra and they divided up these 24,000 priests into 24 groups. And so each division only served two weeks a year, and then they went home. In fact, Jewish records tell us that in the time of year that each of those 24 divisions were on duty, we actually know when each family was supposed to be regular. It was every year. Every year, you have, if you were the family of a certain priesthood, 
You knew which two weeks you were on every single year. Now, the reason that this is important is, is because in Luke 1, we, met, we meet a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God. Luke chapter 5, chapter eight, or in verse 5 and verse 8. So we know the time of the priestly family of Abijah. It was late May or early June every year. And so we are to assume if he is serving in the temple at that time, he is a member of Abijah's priestly family, he would have been there at that time. He would be there roughly around late May, early June. So we actually have a starting place for the narrative. Late May, early June. Is everyone tracking with me? Now an angel appears to Zechariah and says, your wife is going to have a baby. And Zechariah says, have you seen her lately? She's old. So the angel does the most appropriate thing when a man says something like that. He shuts his mouth, literally. And he's not able to speak again until the baby is born. Sounds like a pretty uh, good punishment. The text says next that when his time of service was over, he returned home. Now, if you're Zachariah, don't you think that you would be running home? I mean, here's a man who's 80 years old, who's never had a child, and he and his wife have longed for a child for so long. He can't speak. He knows that this is true. So when he goes home, don't you think he would be running? Don't you think he'd try to get there as fast as he possibly could? Now, it continues by saying, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. But in the Greek, it's literally, at once she became pregnant which supports my theory he ran home. So, if at once she is pregnant, we can assume Elizabeth conceived in June, according to Zachariah's priestly schedule. Now it's Mary's turn. The angel appears to Mary when Elizabeth, the text says, is six months pregnant. So using our skills of addition, six months after June is... December. Jesus is conceived in December. So I think we can still remember Jesus coming to earth in December. We just have to recognize that it's at the front end and not the back end. On a side note, in December is the Jewish holiday called Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights. Wouldn't it be amazing if the angel appeared to Mary during Hanukkah when the light of the world came in? We don't know that. But I think that'd be pretty cool. Now, if that's the case, again, using our skills of addition, when then, if Jesus was conceived in December, when would he have been born? Late September or October. And what holiday is in late September or October? Sukkot. Could it be that on the holiday where the entire nation of Israel is remembering what God was, that God was with them, Jesus arrives. You want to hear more? When John describes the birth of Christ in John 1, he says, the word became flesh, flesh and made his dwelling among us. Anyone here a King James fan? We got any King Jamers in the house? Well, then finish the verse in the King James. The word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. 
the word became flesh, and Sukkad pitched his tent, tabernacled with us. Why would John use that language? Could it be that while the children of Israel are living in their tabernacles, Jesus did the same? You want to hear more? From Jewish history, we know the choruses that were sung in the temple during different times and holidays. It's like on Christmas Eve. What song are we going to sing at the end of our Christmas Eve service with candlelights? Silent Night. We know it, right? There's just these certain times of year we know we're going to sing certain songs. Similarly, we know the songs that were sung at different times in the Jewish year. We know what the choirs sung on Sukkot. Would you like to hear it? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Could it be that while the entire nation of Israel is singing that chorus in the temple, a heavenly host of angels are singing it to a group of shepherds? You want to hear more? When Jesus was born, he was placed in a manger, which is a watering trough for animals, because there was no room in anyone's guest houses. Mary and Joseph had to resort to a place where the animals stayed. That's why we get to see all the cute animal costumes next week at the Christmas pageant, including my son, and I have no idea what he's going to do, so come back. The word we use is the word stable, but the Hebrew word is a type of place called a sukkah. Could it be that Jesus was born in a sukkah with the animals when the entire nation of Israel was remembering their first night in a sukkah with the animals? You see, Christmas points us back to something. And we said this before, sukkah points us back to the story of when God's people slept in animal huts to remind us that he is with us, that he dwelled among us. But now, Christmas points us back to the story of when God slept in the animal hut to remind us that he is with us and that he dwells among us. If we have the band come up, that'd be good. Friends, life has had us sleeping in the animal huts, hasn't it? I think particularly for this year, although it feels like every year, there will always be things about life. But here in our church, this year life has had us sleeping in the animal huts. In fact, today we celebrate but also mourn the passing of Pastor Will. But we have had untimely death. And we've had diagnosis. And we have had different kinds of sickness. We have had experiences of struggle and separation and worries. Friends, there have been many tears. So in the midst of all of it, how do we know that God loves us. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him.
How do we know that God loves us? We know God showed his love among us because he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So as we lay in our animal shacks, as we think about the things that weigh us down, as we think about the way it's enclosed on us, as we feel disjointed, we feel like there's no stable ground, as we lay, just as the Israelites did that night, thinking, what did we get ourselves into? We had food, we had permanent shelter, and now we lay in a sukkah with the animals. Our question is, will you lay with me, God? Will you lay with me? Will you dwell here among me and among us? Because it sure is smelly in here. It sure is hard. And so Jesus is swaddled and laid in a manger next to us. Jesus says, I know what you're going through. I know what huts you're living in. Because I was born in one. And even when life is scary and hard and unpredictable, he's with you. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord, our, our community, we've had our animal shacks this year. We've spent many nights in the sukkah. And the fear and the stench and the unpredictability that life gives us. But you laid with us. You were wrapped and clothed and laid right beside us. Lord, I pray a, a prayer of blessing over our community this Christmas season in the midst of the death and the pain and the struggle and the sickness, in the midst of challenges and hardships and diagnosis and all the things, God, that life will throw at us. Lord, remind us, remind our community that you know what we're going through because you were born in one too. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. We know that we are loved because you came. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.